0: Right now, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is someone that we have spoken to many times. And with it, the celebration of the London economy. What he knows is the United Kingdom celebrates something America can't do, which is the return of Premier League football. His beloved Liverpool will go out in the field, no doubt with pay cuts involved for all the players. But it's so grim in his London The mayor has taken a pay cut to signify to the United Kingdom the urgent need for revenues. It is a story for America as well. Mayor Khan, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. How urgent is it that Prime Minister Johnson assist your great city?
1: It's really important. It's a pleasure to join you and Lisa and Bloomberg TV. But it's really important that governments across the globe, including my country, understand that the recession we're facing could very soon turn into a depression. And that's why we need an active industrial strategy as we come out of lockdown. And although the government's actually been pretty good in helping businesses in relation to staff being furloughed, they've been pretty good in the short term they need to realize that as businesses come out of the lockdown, they need additional assistance as well. I'll give you two examples, Tom. Uh, Many uh, public authorities have lost their tax bases from people who used to pay what we call council tax, now losing their jobs, not paying those taxes, but also businesses who used to pay business rates uh, have stopped paying business rates because their businesses have basically been incubated for the last three months. That means, you know, governments haven't, municipal governments haven't got the funds to provide services. Uh, so I've led by example, taken a pay cut, but we need the government to step in for the medium to long term to support not just municipal governments, but businesses too. And I think governments across the globe would have to do this.
0: I'm reading Wolf Hall right now. Mervyn King and I are rereading this magisterial Hilary Mantel book, and it's the spirit of London mayor in a trading environment of the 16th century. Tell us about the need to reopen trade to London in goods and services. How critical is it to get the Eurostar back? How critical is it to get the airlines up and running again?
1: It's crucial. I mean, one of the reasons why I say this, I know you're speaking to me from New York, but you'll forgive me, London is the greatest city in the world is because of the people that come to our city who make our city great. The students, the tourists, the investors, the businesses, the sports fan, and that stopped over the last uh, four months, and we need that to return. I'm very concerned that as the new academic year begins, many undergraduates may not come. I'm very concerned those who are multinationals who have stopped sending their staff here may be risk averse to coming here. I'm very concerned some of our world leading theatres which have been closed for the last four months, may not reopen till next year. And you'll know the world is a smaller place now. Globalization has some disadvantages, but many advantages. And our strength is our diversity. And that comes from our visitors. And that's part of our DNA. And it's really important. We safely, safely uh, open our doors again to visitors, to businesses, and to investors because we want to, you know, return to not business as usual, but I think a new normality uh, will be recognized that actually what this pandemic has done is shone a spotlight on the uh, fragility of uh, society and of uh, our business model and we need to make sure the new normal addresses those uh, issues.
2: Mayor Khan, I will say that our colleague Jonathan Farrow uh, reminds us of the preeminence of London on a regular basis. I do wonder going forward about some of the social unrest that we're seeing in the biggest cities around the world with Black Lives Matter protests in London uh, that have been ongoing. And I'm wondering how this complicates issues that you've been calling for more police at a time with lower budgets and a time with increasing pressure on that presence. How do you go forward here?
1: You know, the thing, I'm not sure if your American viewers realize this, but uh, the brutal killing of George Floyd uh, didn't just have an impact in Minnesota, Minneapolis and the USA, had an impact uh, around the world. And if you're a black Londoner, uh, you could relate to the awful way George Floyd was uh, killed, but also black people across the world could because they endure racism, discrimination and inequality. So although I fully support the Black Lives um, the Black Lives Matter movement, my concern has been that during a global pandemic, when we're asking people to keep their social distance, we're asking people to stay at home where they can. What they shouldn't be doing is protesting as they are allowed to do, because that may inadvertently lead to the virus spreading. But separately, you're right, Lisa, this is highlighted that actually even in London, the most progressive city in the world, There's racism against black people, discrimination against black people and inequality faced by black people. And those of us in positions of power and influence can't be tone deaf to that. We've got to understand that, empathise with that, but also take steps to address that. This is a moment which I think we'd kick ourselves if we didn't take advantage of to address the structural racism that still exists around the world in 2020 against black people. Well, too much to talk about. Mayor Khan, we
0: truly look forward to seeing you when we revisit London soon and again. City Khan, the mayor of London. Right now, we have good news, and that is Torsten Slack of Deutsche Bank. He and Peter Hooper have been doing absolutely spectacular work on a global basis, thinking about where we are and thinking about the ramifications of all these actions by central banks. And one of them is this overused word, zombie, the idea of a zombie company. A zombie nation or even a zombie global economy. Dr. Slock joins us this morning. Torsten Slack, what is the Deutsche Bank distinction when you address the word zombie?
3: Yeah, so the definition of a zombie company is a company that simply has so much debt, so much leverage that they do not have enough profits to pay for the debt servicing costs. And the problem is that since the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, when interest rates were very low and zero, it incentivized the corporate sector to go out and borrow. It incentivized an increase in leverage across the non-financial corporate sector. So the consequence was that debt levels have gone up for the last 10 years. And this was a problem even before the pandemic arrived here in March. And therefore, what was the answer from the pandemic once the virus came from policymakers pandemic? Well, the answer was that when, when there was no cash flow coming in. To the corporate sector, it was substituted by more debt, by more loans in IG, high yield across the board, commercial paper. And therefore, we have just magnified some of these problems that we already had with a significant share of the economy being something companies, even before the virus came along in March.
0: OK, but Torsten, it's Schumpeterian. We've got to clear the markets. Are we just simply afraid to go bankrupt?
3: So, I mean, the the problem here is that uh, the BIS started looking at this a few years ago, and we have simply just updated what they have done. If you look at the number of listed companies on exchanges in the U.S., that's about 8,000 companies. And look at the share of those that have higher debt servicing costs than they have profits. And here, of course, this is profits before interest payments. That means that the interest coverage ratio for those companies is below one. Well, that share has now gone up so that of all listed companies, you now have that 20% are now in a situation where they're not able to service their debt. and This is, of course, something that becomes more problematic because the bigger a share you have of companies that don't have enough revenue, the more it will actually hold down the potential growth rate in the economy, the more it will weigh on the outlook for the economy and long-run welfare
4: and long-run uh, uh, standards of living over the next few years. Thorsten, this is the key question, whether we are sacrificing longer-term, higher growth, higher productivity for stability now in the near term. And as we repeat that again and again and again, every time we come across a contraction, a pandemic, a recession, whatever it might be, does it make it more difficult to make the opposite decision?
3: That's exactly right, John. It's a trade-off between the short run. Of course, everything the Fed did was correct. They did save the financial system. They did stabilize financial markets. They have made sure that we don't have this significant amount of volatility and turbulence we had in March. But it has come with a number of side effects and one side effect is exactly this issue that the lack of revenue when the doors closed in corporate America and there were no dollars coming into the bottom line, companies turned around to borrowing markets and basically started borrowing in corporates for IG and high yield and commercial paper markets. And that was essentially magnifying a problem that we already had going into the virus. So you're absolutely right. This is increasing the share of companies. This is not only the U.S., this is also in Germany, France, U.K., around the world. The fear, of course, is that we will begin to look somewhat similar to Japan in the 1990s, where you also had very high debt levels in the corporate sector. And this is the problem down the road that can companies survive these significant amounts of debt load, these significant amounts of leverage that we now have that are being magnified, accelerated upwards because of the response from the Federal Reserve.
2: There's an irony baked in here, Torsten, or the more that asset prices are kept up and these companies are kept afloat uh, with respect to higher debt loads, the more people can have confidence in investing in these, even though growth is slowing. Do you expect that paradigm to continue for these zombies to be kept alive and not allowed to go bankrupt, period, full stop to Tom's point, allowing the asset prices to continue to climb despite the lack of growth?
3: You're right, Lisa. I mean, think about the Fed's response, uh, what has sort of triggered this lift in the share of companies that are zombies or that don't have enough revenue to pay for their interest payments. That was triggered by low interest rates. And now, not only do we again have low interest rates, but we actually also have the Fed actively buying IG and buying phone angels. And what does that mean? That means that they have also incentivized even further more credit extension and more leverage increase in the corporate Sector, and of course, non financials in particular have therefore resolved the problem with the lack of revenue by adding on more debt. So, somewhat ironically, we have exactly as John just said. We've been making some trade-offs in the short run, we're stabilizing things, but we still have this very important problem that uh, we need to look at the fundamental structure of the corporate sector. And again, the comparisons with Japan, before it was all about inflation, and that's, of course, also still a debate, but now there are more parallels with Japan that are coming into the radar screen that becomes very important for investors, to for thinking about, is it all stocks in the S&P or all listed stocks in the U.S. that needs to go up, or are there very important sector differences in terms of this leverage increase that we have seen in some sectors and not in
4: others? Torsten, this is not capitalism. We should not pretend it is. What is this?
3: So I would say, I know this might sound very academic, but I would say this is interfering with the process of creative destruction. I mean, creative destruction is, of course, that some companies go under, some companies open up. Every day on a normal day, there's about 1,600 companies in the U.S. that go out of business. And if you have 1,600 companies that go out of business every day in the U.S., now that artificially, IG spreads have been narrowed and also credit spreads have been narrowed and the cost of capital have been lowered, which makes complete sense from a business side perspective it's just beginning to open up a lot of questions. What does this mean for the process of creative instructions of companies starting and companies going under? And what does that mean then? for how We think about how dynamic the U.S. economy normally is. It's normally the most dynamic economy in the world is able to generate a lot of growth and innovative ideas and products and ways of being much more productive than other countries. But the problem is here that now, well, how is that process actually looking going forward? If you suddenly have a share and a rising share of the corporate sector that is just no longer able to do those significant increases and advances in innovations and in productivity that we have been so used to for all these years.
4: Torsten, fascinating conversation and one that we are going to have to continue for a long time to come. Torsten Slock there of Deutsche Bank.
0: John, you nicely framed that. Is the economics and maybe the financial discussion of a Morgan Stanley or other optimists that are out there But then there is the reality of opening up, and no one wants to open up with the agony that we've seen down south of large gatherings which maybe lead to potential infection. The lieutenant governor of the Empire State has provided leadership on this with her, Governor Cuomo, to open up in a responsible way. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul joins us this morning. Lieutenant Governor, I want you to give us one anecdote of what it's like to open upstate that people in the bigger cities can understand what is one of those tension points that's been instructive for you
5: well thank you for having me on this show again and i have been all over upstate in person rochester down to jamestown i was in little tiny olean yesterday and i'll tell you what i see i'm seeing business owners who understand the gravity of the situation. They have been shut down. They've lost their income for three and a half months. In order for them to survive, they know that they need to, first of all, create an environment that's safe, that you walk in the door, that you are six feet apart from other customers, that everybody wears a mask or you don't walk in the door, and there's disinfectant on the counter shops. I've seen it everywhere because here's where this is fascinating. We are all aligned in our interests. Government, those of us who've been leading this charge, Governor Cuomo, first of all, wants to make sure we get it right. The business owners want to get it right. They do not want to be in the news as being the next hot spot or being uh, blown in by their employees or customers as being violators. So the public interest, the business interest, and the government interest are all aligned here to get it right. So I saw countless examples walking down these streets, businesses proud to put up their open for business signs and welcoming people back, and they are being smart about it. And that's all it takes. This is not a complicated concept to doing what we've been doing while we've had this slow, well-thought-out methodical reopening. And it works here.
4: It works here. Lieutenant Governor, we hope it continues to work. But you know, we all know, the hard work of this state can be undone by failures elsewhere. What are you doing to protect New York from the outbreaks that we're seeing in other states across this country?
5: You know, the irony of this is just incredible to consider that just a few months ago, we were the epicenter of this pandemic and other states were telling their residents not to come to New York. Or if you were a New Yorker driving to Florida for your uh, vacation, you were told you had a quarantine for 14 days. So it is extraordinary in the turnaround and the fact that we are now have the state with the lowest rate of infection. So, yes, we are concerned. The governor addressed this yesterday when asked about what about places like Florida, what we have in New York state, a lot of New York uh, residents have gone to Florida. to become snowbirds. I guess they're technically Florida residents then, but they come back to their summer homes uh, in the city, the Long Island area or upstate. And unfortunately we are starting to see cases where they're bringing the virus now to us. And so the governor is weighing all his options. He's speaking to experts about what rights we have to protect us because we have suffered too long, and we've come back on a long, slow road to get it right. And we're not going to take any steps backward because of what's going on elsewhere. If we could we can help it. You know, New Yorkers cannot go through this twice. Yeah. We will get through this because we're continuing to ask people to follow the social distancing, wear the mask, and we won't end up like the other states. They're literally putting a halt order on some of the reopenings. And that, that's psychologically devastating, and it's horrible for the economy.
2: Lieutenant Governor, how close are we to having to actually cut services as a result of the budget deficits in New York State?
5: It's almost inevitable. I mean, the only lifeline that we're waiting for is to have Congress and the president understand that you cannot have a full economic recovery in this nation without helping out states like New York. that were the hardest hit. We are an economic engine that has to get some fuel back into us. And when we get that money and we get that assistance, which we believe should happen, and don't be playing politics. This is not the time to talk about red states and blue states. We are an important entity, an important part of the comeback for the nation, not just our state. So there would be cutbacks. The reality is there will be cutbacks if we don't get that support from the federal government. But the governor has had conversations with the president. We're speaking to our leaders in Congress, and we hope they get it, that we all want this economy to come back. I heard you speaking about Uh, you know, the the 10 year decline and, you know, it's going to take a long time and it, it doesn't have to. Right. We can come back much quicker and support the federal government spending with revenues from New York since we are a donor state. But we just need a little help during this time, and we
0: expect to get it. Lieutenant Governor, very quickly here, I have the clearest memory of the riots of 1964 in Rochester, New York. It has been a path with the courage of Nelson Rockefeller and others to provide for African-Americans in this nation and in this state. Are are you going to see a national holiday off of what we saw from your governor a few days ago on Juneteenth, 2020?
5: I can only speak to what we're doing in the state of New York, but I will tell you many times when New York leads, others follow, whether it's the LGBTQ rights, whether it's women's rights, whether it's many many of the civil rights initiatives, labor rights, environmental rights, all those movements started in New York. And I hope that the rest of the nation will be aware of what we did in New York by finally giving the recognition that the African-Americans deserve to have as part of an important part of their history, which was the Emancipation Proclamation finally being uh, enacted and and actually executed in Texas, which was a two-year holdout. This is, I've marched in Juneteenth parades for the last 25 years, and I'm so delighted to see year after year more people coming out, more people understanding this history and understanding that the root of racism goes back centuries and it's a time to right that wrong and have, a, have an acknowledgement of that dark part of our history, but also realizing that we can come into a brighter area era if we become cognizant of that history and why that may still be the remnants of that are still affecting society today, why there is systemic racism that goes back to that time.
4: Kathy, I think we all hope we can make more progress. Fantastic to catch up with you, as always. Lieutenant Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, there on reopening at an important day for this nation.
0: Let's bring in Bob Michael. This is. This is someone that we know so well uh, from our talk on the yield market and, of course, on the show, The Real Yield. Look for that coming up soon, folks, on Bloomberg Television. Bob <laughs> Michael, where is the real yield? Bob Michael, when do I get a real yield back?
6: I know. It just seems to have been another one of these casualties of the crisis. I guess we'll know things are further returning to normal when it comes back, because by then, all the value will have been squeezed out of the bond market.
4: Bob. You sound like you've become more constructive in the last couple of weeks. Can you walk us through whether you have and why?
6: Uh, For sure, we have. And and when we look at the overwhelming response by policymakers, uh, both monetary and on the fiscal side, it's been dramatic. It's not just been a handful of developed markets. Uh, It's been in the emerging markets. In the last couple of days, you've had rate cuts out of Indonesia, you've had a rate cut out of Brazil, uh, you had a rate cut out of Russia. I looked at where Brazil uh, central bank rates are, they're two and a quarter percent That's where the U.S. was a year ago. Uh, so the policymakers have no interest in watching the pandemic continue to shut down the global economy. They're doing everything they can.
4: Is this a case of there is no alternative? For you, that you've got to put this money to work and need to return, and the assets that he used to get a return on just aren't there anymore, Bob? Or is is it something more constructive than that?
6: Um, It's a combination of both. I I love Torsten. I was a little disappointed uh, that in his list of zombies, he didn't list the bond market, because that's where we're headed. Uh, Central banks are going to control the level of funding across the system. And it's not just front rates. With yield curve control and and unlimited amounts of quantitative ease, they can go across the curve and control the funding rate uh, to their government. And then with purchases of credit, uh, they're controlling the funding rate uh, to the corporate world as well. And of course, in the U.S., uh, you're also seeing it with households through TALF programs and, and other things. So... There is a commitment to bring rates down ultra low across the system until we close the output gap. And that's years away.
2: What's the playbook then for invest, for investing in a zombie world, in a zombie market, both bonds as well as households and companies?
6: Well, I think last time I was on, I said, I'm sure Tom has his Samuelson lying around. And I'm sure one of the laws in there was don't <clears throat> fight the Fed. And I'm not fighting the central banks or policymakers in aggregate. Uh, So rates are coming down. Uh, They've come down a lot. They're going to stay low for a while. Uh, We are going to see an acceleration in growth. But until that acceleration materially closes the output gap and you start to see any inflationary pressure, you're not going to see any talk of, of raising rates. Um, so I think what you do is, is you continue to extend out into credit and you try to find uh, companies and borrowers that can operate uh, in a world and an economy that's, that's running at a fraction of what it used to.
0: Okay, Bob, but this is critically important. And you mentioned Paul Samuelson 1948. It was a different economy. It was a different America. And the belief that's out there is your world is gains to the elite. How do we have our finance system give us gains that Paul Samuelson saw through the 1950s and into the 1960s for the good of society?
6: Yeah, and, and, and this is uh, one of the, the effects of, of the overwhelming monetary response. The initial reaction is to inflate asset prices, and of course the holders of assets are in the upper echelon of the economy, and and it, it could widen uh, the gap between the haves and the have-nots. I don't know that monetary officials could have or should have done Anything better? As I said in the past, I think they should start shifting the narrative. And you're seeing that out of Christine Lagarde and the ECB, which is what do you want us to do? We're not the first policy response. We're the second policy response. The first policy response was for government officials to shut down their economy. Then we responded by lowering rates and creating liquidity and funding for the system. So we now have brought rates down to a level where public and private borrowers can do something with it as they recover. Let's see what they do with it. Focus your attention there. Are companies going to borrow and buy back shares and raise dividends and make acquisitions, or are they going to invest in CapEx? And how about on the government side? What are we doing there? Are we just gonna pile up the deficit, are we going to actually invest in healthcare and infrastructure? So I think the narrative needs to change a bit here.
2: Bob, perhaps the narrative needs to also change around the expected returns profile at a time when you've got a lot of pensions still shooting for that 7% bogey. What is an appropriate bogey right now, given the interest rate environment and given that strategy that you were just talking about, investing companies that can maneuver in a low growth world?
6: Well, you're right. There there are pension funds and there are insurance companies that have long-dated liabilities. They have to match. And what's been interesting to me is the Fed support of the curve has been in the front end, somewhat in the intermediate part of the curve, but they're dialing down their purchases in the long end. So we're seeing three curves evolve, and the long end, to me, looks as though it's being left to plan sponsors, so the pension funds and insurance companies, to negotiate an acceptable rate with some of the borrowers in the market, so so long uh, credit, I, I don't know that you're going to get seven and a half percent there. I, I think you're going to be lucky to, you know, be able to book in in the three percent area for an ongoing uh, period of time, and I think that forces you to accept that everyone is committed to a recovery. Uh, other markets will ac- continue to appreciate, and this isn't proper environment to de-risk in um, so continue to hold the things that um, have a bit more upside whether it's equities or privates or alternatives and and of course that means an implicit faith that policy makers will continue to get it right
4: Hey Bob let's end with the important stuff shall we? 60 seconds left on the clock can we get a score from you for this weekend for Liverpool Everton?
6: Do you realize that Premier League football has shut down bond market has continued to operate. Now, I'm, I'm a buyer of both those markets. So the anticipation <laughs> has been mouthwatering for me. I'm expecting 3-0 Liverpool.
4: Bob Michael, always appreciate it. Tom, do you see how that worked there? Nil. When he switches away from the bond market and yeah. gets to Liverpool, the energy just comes comes up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I got teary-eyed. Nil, folks, we're jargon-free. Nil means zero, like shut out.
4: I think most people understand that, Tom, to be honest with you. Bob Michael or J.P. Morgan. Bob, always fantastic to catch up with you. Lisa's got to get used to this. This is going to go on for the next couple of months.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide. I'm Bloomberg Radio.